Hi, Sebastian Hussein here. You're listening to an archived episode of STEM Wars. You can find newer episodes of STEM Wars at stemwars.buzzsprout.com. That's S-T-E-M-O-I-R-S dot buzzsprout.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else your favorite podcasts are. Thanks very much for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of PodQuest, the official podcast of the Quest Solar Energy Engineering Research Center. I'm Joe Harris. And I'm Sebastian Hussein. And we're on the campus of Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. We're here to explore the narratives of solar energy, what goes on behind the scenes in a solar energy research center. You could say we're here to shed light on that. This episode kicks off a recurring series, Ask a Grad Student, in which we talk to the worker bees of solar research about their motivations, goals, hopes, dreams, nightmares, potentially, of their work and of their lives. So, for this one, we're going to start by simply talking to each other. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, first off, how are you, man? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Cool. I, I'll say I'm busy because that's what I always say whenever somebody asks me that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't seen you in a, probably a, a week or two, a couple weeks, I guess. And um, I've been, I've gotten addicted to coding in Python in like the last two weeks <laughs> because I just okay. got a huge data set and I didn't know what to do with it. And then I learned how to like handle big data sets in Python. Awesome. So I've been yeah. hiding in my cubicle. Yeah. You and Brad should talk. He's we should, been, yeah, we, yeah, we absolutely should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's been diving into that and just looking at trends of the trends, and I I don't understand half the stuff he's talking about sometimes, but, yeah, that's that's research. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was amazing to me because I, for the, I have a, a file that's, like, uh, 8 million lines long or something, mm. and... I was able to plot it for the first time last week, which <laughs> that's is, exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like I didn't know what it looked like, and yeah. now, now I do. Now you do. Sweet. Okay. I know you have the the Aussie rules stuff coming up too. Yeah. Well, that's been ongoing. It's um, this crazy sport that Americans have never seen. The best explanation is that it's like um, ultimate frisbee meets rugby. So if you can even comprehend that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of running. It is a lot of running, yeah. Yeah, so that's good. Um, Yeah, well, I guess let's dive into it. Uh, I've spoken to you a little bit before about this kind of stuff, about how you came to ASU, but um, it'd be great to hear the official story. So let's start off with where, where were you before you came to ASU? So before I came to ASU, I was working for a solar what would you call them, a solar, well, an all-energy research group um, in uh, Boston. And so this is a group called Fraunhofer Center for for Fraunhofer Center for Sustainable Energy, um, <laughs> which is a sort of an American version of the very large Fraunhofer Research yeah, Institution ISE. in Germany. Right, well, yeah, there's ISE, which is the solar one, and then there's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a dozen ah, more overall, for right. all sorts of other things. Right. Um, so we're sort of the American offshoot, um, or one of the American offshoots of that big organization. Um, and there was the first time I'd ever worked um, in solar. Okay. 
Um, it sounded like you were out in the field sometimes, from what you were saying. Yeah, about, sometimes. So yeah. basically, they're, um, they're, they would do contract R&D. And mm. a lot of times what we did was third-party testing of solar modules and mm. other solar materials um, to provide validation to manufacturers about their products. Um, and so a lot of times, mostly what that was, was uh, field testing. So taking yeah. solar panels and putting them in, you know, the sun and seeing how they performed. Yeah. So um, I did that for about a year and decided that um, I wanted to get more into a solar manufacturing yeah. uh, environment. And um, it was uh, at a time where, um, you know, there weren't really jobs for unexperienced people and that sort of thing, <laughs> yeah. or at least not that I could get. And uh, so I ended up coming to grad school. Um, okay. I also joined the IGERT program, the, the Solar Energy IGERT, um, which is an NSF-funded solar energy interdisciplinary fellowship um, that was going on here at the time. And so that was attractive. And that's ultimately what separated ASU from yeah. some of the other universities. Right. And also talking about solar manufacturing, um, I guess Stuart Bowden finding, uh, finding him uh, that that's right along those lines yeah. with the student-led pilot line. And <clears throat> so, how did you get in touch with Dr. Bowden? I did what we all do: is we send a bunch of emails <laughs> after we after we get accepted. We start sending emails, or before we even get accepted, we we say, yeah. "I am a prospective grad student, and I would maybe like to work in your <laughs> lab." Yeah. And he was just like, "Great, have you applied?" And I said, "Yes." <laughs> he said, "Okay, see you in." The fall. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like Stuart. Um, yeah. So that was that was pretty much how it happened. Um, yeah. But it was it was exactly what I wanted. I mean, it's um, you know the the Quest student led pilot line and you know testbed one of of Quest are you know basically a pseudo industrial scale solar manufacturing yeah. um, lab, and right. so. Um, which, if you're curious what those are, you can check out our website, quest.asu.edu, and uh, see all our projects there. And now a word from our sponsor. No, wait, that's not this part, is it? I guess not, no. <laughs> we'll record that later. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I guess so you were on the East Coast before you came here and uh, flew across the country um, <laughs> to, to kind of do this work, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, really, yeah, my... My first time in Arizona was like the prospective grad student visit mm. weekend, and my second time in Arizona was like the day I moved here. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was probably the most nerve wracking part was moving, you know, a thousand miles from anybody I knew yeah. and anywhere I'd ever been before. Um, and, you know, the, the season inversion of desert weather <laughs> um, wasn't something I was, knew that I was prepared for. So that was the. Yeah the most nervous part back then. Um, okay. But it's fine now. I'm yeah. used to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems that you've uh, grown onto the uh, the outdoors stuff around here. Yeah. Quite the, a bit. The, the American <laughs> Southwest is uh, pretty has so stark. much more to yeah, offer. It has, it. Well, not so much more. Yeah. It's just so different and so interesting and mm. so good to go exploring in. Yeah. So, so I, I have enjoyed my time here. Yeah. That's great. Uh, so I guess let's delve a little bit into your research then. Um, 
what what is a brief description of your project? So the the for public consumption version is I try to make solar panels cheaper by substituting the expensive materials in them for for less expensive materials. Namely, that means replacing the silver with copper. What that means to somebody who's got a little more familiarity is we try to um, uh, replace printed or screen printed silver metallization um, with uh, plated copper metallization. Um, yeah. yeah. Could so, you uh, maybe describe um, the screen printing process first as like kind of a baseline for comparison? Yeah. So so um, you know almost you know so. All silicon cells, almost all silicon cells that you'll see, um, which is you know eighty-five or 95 percent of the um, the solar market right now, solar module market, um, are made with screen printed silver contacts, which basically means there's a paste that contains silver uh, micro particles, um, and you print it with through a screen like you would print a T-shirt. It's very kind of low tech. Um, and, um, yeah, um, I, I don't have a, a ready reference for this, but, um, there's in a solar panel, you know, there's probably a couple bucks worth of silver in it. Um, Mm. and, uh, silver is, uh, 10 or, uh, you know, 20 times more expensive per volume or per weight than, um, than copper. So if you could right. just replace that with a cheaper material, you could turn a couple bucks worth of silver into, you know, yeah. tens of cents, um, hmm. and you know that would shave, you know, a few cents off the cost per watt of, of a solar panel. Which and uh, then going from the cost to maybe the performance as well, um, are you losing anything in, in the conductivity comparison of? of silver oh no! To so copper? Um, yeah, copper is is more is I mean so pure silver and pure copper have you know, similar conductivity. Silver is mm-hmm. a bit better, um, but silver paste is three or four times more resistive, so less conductive than than right. pure copper. And what we plate is pure copper, yeah. um, so there's a, a slight conductivity benefit. That's not usually the limiting factor in silver metallization. Mm. Um, we get better contact resistivities um, to the silicon wafer, so that yeah. um, is potentially an area of improved performance. Um, but I think th- I think the argument really for for traditional silicon cells um, centers on cost, right? Um, and uh, you know, for for more advanced cell architectures, there may be a better efficiency benefit because the contacts do limit things like heterojunction cells. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, how did how did this topic come about? Um, how did you find it? Was it something that uh, Dr. Bowden? proposed yeah so we're working on it with an industry partner um and they're also a now um at this point a a quest industry partner and a little plug for the quest industry program here Um, (laughs) so um technic is a plating company um in rhode island or, or headquartered in rhode island um and they um have had you know generations of experience in plating all sorts of plating metal on onto all sorts of things but never before solar cells they got in touch with us i don't know i probably threw a web search or something <laughs> um because they needed yeah. someone with solar expertise um 
and that led to um, a, a DOE grant under the Solar Mat 2 program a few years ago, um, which is still continuing, and that's what funds me, um, and that's that's what I work on every day. Okay, cool. Did you have uh, any hand in the process of uh, writing that grant and submitting it, or I did not, more? not really. Okay, I mean, yeah. I, more the yeah. The I mean, so that would that was when I was still a fairly new grad student, right? So I didn't contribute too much to the writing of it, but yeah. um, you know. Once we won it, it's been basically my, like, the ASU duties under the milestones have all been yeah. mine. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I know you're taking some of this work that you've done now to a, uh, a conference that's coming up, right, in the next couple yeah, months? Yeah, potentially. Um, we got accepted, so I have, oh, to, decide. I have yeah. to decide whether or not um, I'm going. Um, but, yeah, like, our most recent results have been... Um, well, on a lot of on a lot of fronts. Um, so, the stuff I wrote for that conference is the contact resistivity of plated contacts compared to silver printed mm-hmm. contacts, um, and uh, you know, spoiler alert, they're better um, <laughs> uh, a bit. Um, That's promising, okay. Yeah, which is good. Um, so, um, and I'm also writing a little bit on the the method of probing contact. Resistivity on yeah. on finished solar cells, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's traditionally done on dedicated test structures, and it'd be easier actually for us if we could do it on finished solar cells. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to. I mean, there's a there's a method to doing it to yeah. make sure that you're getting real results. Right. Um, and speaking of those test structures that you're putting stuff down onto or the surface. Um, yeah, how does it compare to putting on flat versus like textured? Have you? Oh yeah, that all matters, that? right? Yeah, yeah, so that all matters, and right. so because we what we care about is finished, like what the right. contact resistivity exactly. is, is finished solar cell. That's actually the best way to measure it is on a finished solar cell. Yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah, that'll be future co- forthcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. Um, the uh, we've also got recent results on um, the reliability mm. testing of uh, plated contacts, which is. Um, a real concern and something that is probably limiting uh, or right. making making potential adopters of plated contacts hesitant mm. um, is that there hasn't been um, a, a complete um, proof of, of the reliability of metal plated contacts in the field. Um, so I've seen things like sort of delamination of contacts after you, you know, <laughs> like literally they peel off after yeah. you put them on. Um, not terribly helpful. Right, yeah, that's not good. Um, and uh, um, stuff like that, like also um, copper um, is just generally terrible for semiconductors, and so you have to put it down in such a way that it won't end up diffusing into your solar cell. It right. Wants, you want to keep it sitting on top rather than diffusing in. Because yeah, the it's, copper atoms begin acting as recombination sites. Yeah, they're just huge. Killing your, yeah, your it's, lifetime so of the it's called cell. a deep yeah. level defect, and they're you know they're right. wonderful centers to recombine. Um, yeah. And copper is known as a fast diffuser in silicon. Yeah, believe, absolutely. So, you yeah. you know all the answers yeah. to all my questions. All, all my <laughs> Already, yeah, it's, you know, yeah. if you deposit, you know, copper on a bare silicon wafer and just, like, wait, yeah. it'll all end up on the other side of the wafer in, like, days. Yeah. At, at room temperature. At room temperature, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay. So yeah, it doesn't bode well for like you know a twenty year lifetime of a solar panel sure. if you've got copper all up inside it. Yeah. So. But great that that means there's definitely further areas of research to be done and um, yeah reliability yeah. is definitely one of the things I think some recent reports have been coming out that if we really want to see deep level penetration of solar into our energy grid uh, we have to look right. at fifty years or so. sure absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean fifty year kind of lifetimes you know the the you know you know everybody sort of talks about how twenty years is necessary well. 20 years is necessary, basically, from a financial perspective, yeah. um, but but from a sort of terawatt levels of PV right. penetration, right. Um, you know, it'd be great if our solar power plants lasted, you know, as long as a, a conventional plant did, which in most cases is 30, 40, 50 years, so. Right. So, so I, think I think we'll, we'll stop, stop it there. there. And before uh, we go too deep into anything else, Let's just flip the tables, and we'll start asking you about yourself. So um, so I'll start the same way. Uh, so how did you end up as a grad student in Quest? Sure. Um, I guess I could, I could go back to uh, the summer of 2011. No, I think it was 2012. Um, it was the second year of the research experience for undergrads that Quest was doing. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I essentially, I got a random email through the Ira Fulton Schools of Engineering here at ASU saying, hey, they're looking at um, starting up this program in June, um, looking for applicants. If you're interested in solar energy, uh, why don't you go ahead and apply? And uh, solar energy was one of the three research areas that uh, I was looking at originally when I started off in undergrad here in uh, at ASU. What were the other two? Uh, the other two were water purification, water treatment, and um, smart medical okay. uh, bandages, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I'd kind of delved into research for those uh, my previous years, starting off with the freshman year. Okay. Um, kind of checked those off the list, and it was fun, but it hadn't really grabbed my interest um, as much as it could. Uh, so yeah, I applied and also spoke with uh, Stuart about it and got into the program, did some really cool work in the solar power lab uh, down south off mm-hmm. campus doing a lot of wet cam processing and um, texturing of the solar cells. Right. Uh, kind of my, f- It wasn't my first time using chemical processing, but at that scale that you have in the student pilot line there. Um, that was my first experience seeing like a clean room and how that works, and not just a tiny little lab with dirty beakers everywhere. Yeah. Although that I guess is in some <laughs> aspects of the the SPL there too. Um, and finished that over the summer and was like I really enjoyed this work and there was a lot of questions that I still had um, that I wanted to continue pursuing. So I asked Dr. Bowden, Hey, do you mind if I continue working with you throughout the the uh, semester? Uh, so throughout my senior year, we used the Fulton Undergrad Research Initiative, the FURY project, okay, yeah. and I did a bunch of um, blue light response uh, and diffusion uh, studies for, for some of the silicon solar cells. Mm-hmm. Um, towards the end of, I guess, junior year, I had begun to realize there's still so much more that I want to learn. I'm just delving into the physics, beginning to delve into the physics of solar, uh, and that's why I made the decision to go to grad school and... Um, Stuart told me, hey, there's new faculty joining the Quest group. 
uh, Mariana Bertoni. You should go talk to her. And that was when I was in the midst of running around trying to check out different grad schools and stuff all over the country and uh, so did, did you yeah. know that you wanted to go to grad school or how did you how did you decide I uh, I hadn't thought of it prior to my junior year honestly okay. I was I was thinking about a master's um, I guess I should I should technically say I hadn't been thinking about a PhD um, I was considering a master's because of the four plus one program it's just mm-hmm. simple ASU right. makes it pretty easy um yeah, but it wasn't really until midway through my junior year that I was like, oh, maybe I should start writing applications and see where this goes. Right. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, you, you're into grad school and you're deciding between them and you're talking to uh, Dr. Bertoni and how did that happen? How did that? Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. I was at a conference presenting some of the um, previous work I'd been doing um, and I was I was currently at that time working in like wide band gap semiconductors uh, thin film transistor kind of work, and I'd been looking around because I thought I wanted to stick kind of in the same broad area, yeah. um, and I was like, how does this apply to solar? And I, I just really had like such little knowledge at that time. Um, it's kind of funny looking back on it now. Uh, but yeah, I went around to some poster sessions and saw some other works that other students had been doing and had been doing some reading online, and I found this uh, professor at Northwestern, uh, Professor Thomas Mason, and he had done some really interesting work on transparent conducting oxides, which are wide band gap semiconductors. Yep. Um, and I was like, man, I think it would actually be really cool to work for him, and I went to a poster session, and spoke to some of his uh, graduate students, and uh, one of them happened to mention, hey, one of uh, Professor Mason's former students is actually becoming faculty at ASU. Do you know her? And I said, what's her name? <laughs> and he said, it's Mariana Bertoni. And I was like, hey, that's the guy Stuart told me to go talk to. I should go, I should send her an email and see if she has time to meet. And um, yeah, from there, uh, yeah, we just hit it off and um, been working in the defect lab ever since. So TCOs, yes. what, are you, what are you trying to figure out about TCOs? Right. Uh, so, so TCOs I guess are transparent with... conducting oxides, and they right. make the front layer on many types of right. well, solar cells, but also other, you know, sort of yep. electronic devices as well. Yeah, uh, so... In some of the cell architectures, they sandwich both the, the top and the back, um, but we're mostly looking at the uh, the front side. It works really well at lateral conduction. Okay, so what's it need yeah. to be? What are the requirements of it? Right, so it needs to be transparent, yeah. and it needs to be conducting. Right. And most often, they're made out of oxides, right. hence TCO. Um, yeah, there's also thickness requirements that you have for anti-reflective coating okay. uh, requirements and, and things like that. Um And, yeah, the biggest thing is how do you balance this trade-off between transparency and conductivity? Because usually uh, those things are in opposition to each other. As you increase the transparency, you lose out big time in the conductivity. Uh, So this is not a naturally occurring material. That's that's the really cool thing. This is purely man-made, engineered, just through physics and chemistry at it. Um, Yeah, I think the first one was made back in, like, 1907, uh, out of cadmium oxide, 
uh, really toxic uh, base material, <laughs> but um, man, the leaps and bounds that it's, uh, this field has taken over the past 110 years or so is, is really impressive. Um, and so how you, you first start off with a transparent material, so a really wide band gap, meaning the light basically just passes right all the way it. through it, yep. um, and then you just put a ton of stuff in it. Um, usually metal species dopants. Okay. Uh, so, so like in indium oxide, you dope it with tin or with tungsten or um, a whole host of other things. And uh, we're looking at uh, putting hydrogen in our TCOs. And um, what those dopants do is you actually gener- uh, you create the electrons that then right. um, are the conductive species right. in the material. Yeah, and so there's uh, a lot of different properties that you can look at, you can fine-tune, and you can get crazy into the, into the physics of it to try and improve this material. Okay, um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit about what you specifically are working on, which is sure. the, the hydrogen-doped indium oxide. So, yeah. so what makes it different than other uh, I species, O's, yeah. TCOs? Uh, and, and hydrogen is a tricky thing. Um, it's so small, it moves around so quickly, and it has so many different ways that it can interact with with different materials that it's still um, being researched a ton in its interplay with different semiconductors. Right. And in this TCO, um, the indium oxide system specifically, what they found in literature is that you can increase one of the uh, electrical properties by three to four fold over the current, um, I guess, uh, state-of-the-art or most widely used indium tin oxide, um, the property known as mobility, um, like how quickly the electrons are moving between scattering events. Um, When you introduce hydrogen into the system rather than tin, you actually get mobilities that are three to four times higher than that of ITO. Um, And there's a lot of... And that would be good for making your TCO more conductive, more Yeah. Uh, so it's actually goes back to the transparency. Um, so yes, you could make it more conductive. Um, however, the interesting thing is you can achieve the same conductivities with a lower electron population. Um, and so by reducing the amount of electrons, you're actually improving your transparency in the red to infrared portion of the wavelength spectrum, which is where, uh, silicon solar cells, uh, they they operate quite well uh, because their band gap being optimized for for that towards that yeah, end of the spectrum. Of the spectrum right. um, and so, with conventional indium tin oxide, where you have massive, massive amounts of free electrons, um, those actually absorb in the red and infrared yeah. quite well. Right. Um, the electrons kind of oscillate back and forth with the incoming electric field. Um, it's exactly how the metal on a front side of a microwave works. Yeah. Um, that's why you're not getting microwaved in the face when you're <laughs> watching your burrito cook or whatever. Right. Um, so if you can reduce that free carrier population um, while at the same time increasing your mobility, you can achieve the same conductivities so you don't have any trade-off of uh, transparency and conductivity if you go the mobility route. Um, so I'm not really in the device manufacturing or device creation or fabrication side of things, more in the fundamental studies okay. side of this. And uh, there's tons of debate going on in literature about why does hydrogen act this way? Um, what is it doing? Where is it sitting in the material? Um, and if we can figure that out, can we then transfer that knowledge to a different system 
that is perhaps not indium reliant because there's um, supply concerns for for indium. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe I'll have you summarize. What's what's one you know one of your great results? One of your maybe unexpected findings? Something <laughs> something that you know a result that you're particularly proud of? Something like that. Yeah. Oh man. That is the question for a grad student to answer, isn't it? Right. Um, there's uh, some really cool things we're able to do by looking at the temperature-dependent Hall mobility. Okay. Um, so measuring the mobility of the electrons as we go down towards zero Kelvin, basically. Okay. So we ramped it down from room temperature all the way down. And looking at those curves, um, the shape of those curves, we can start to explore what is the fundamental limiting factor of the mobility and we can start to parse out at different different temperature regimes and for different hydrogen concentrations we can say there's different mechanisms at play um, I know I said different a lot there okay. but um, I guess I can explain that a little bit further um, we're looking at in this material we're looking at things such as ionized impurity scattering so the things that are donating the electrons are left behind as a charged particle, and that can act as a scattering site um, for for the mobil uh, for the the electron. So limiting the mobility. Um, there's other things like vibrations of the the lattice. So phonon scattering yep. um, can be a big deal. And also, this is a polycrystalline material, so it's not single crystal. So, so there are grain boundaries, boundaries. Yeah. and grain boundary scattering is usually um, a big deal. Right. In semiconductors. However, previous literature reports have shown grain boundary scattering doesn't seem to be present in this material, which is really weird because yeah. uh, there are grains everywhere. Um, and so what we were able to do is actually make this material with grain boundary scattering, <laughs> which means that it's a really bad material, which doesn't sound that great at first, um, but it's begun to unlock... Um, why is hydrogen able to to suppress grain boundary scattering in some regimes and maybe even amplify it in others? And uh, we're thinking we're coming up with ways of how we can actually um, further improve uh, the, the material now because to of that. So to sum that up in maybe a couple sentences, you yeah. are figuring out how, finish the sentence, hydrogen... How hydrogen is interacting with the crystal lattice, and can we improve the the mobility from that understanding? Okay, cool. Yeah. Maybe I got too technical there too fast, but... That's okay. That's <laughs> yeah. okay. It's hard not to. So that's that. That's our episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, PodQuest is a project by the graduate students of the Quest ERC. For more information on Quest, visit quest.asu.edu. That's qest.asu.edu. Quest is funded by the National Science Foundation and the U.S. Department of Energy. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the authors only and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Science Foundation or the Department of Energy. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time.